So there will be probably crisis at some point in time. And in that case, you need to have a central bank to provide liquidity to the financial system. And the main difference is that you can say that the traditional system is closed Saturday and Sunday, and we open again on, on Monday but not cryptocurrency, they work 24-7. So if you have a crisis happening on, on Sunday morning, and then you cannot say, no, you have to wait an additional 24 hours until the Fed opens the doors. No, no, no. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to IBKR Traders Insight Radio Podcast. I'm Stephen Levine, Senior Market Analyst at Interactive Brokers. And today on this program, Yves Longchamp, Head of Research at Seba Bank in Switzerland, has been kind enough to join us again, this time to talk about central bank digital currencies, or CBDCs. Welcome back, Yves. It's great to have you here with us again. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you. When you were last on our podcast, we had a terrific discussion about cryptocurrencies. They're growing allures and asset class, the benefits and risks of adding them to your portfolio for diversification purposes. And listeners can also tune into that program on our channel. Found that talk very insightful. But it seems the rise in popularity of Bitcoin, Ether, other coins and tokens, as we talked about, these have somewhat shaken sovereign nations into forming plans to safeguard and perhaps altogether transform the traditional shape and architecture of their own fiat currencies and payment systems. I'd like to start off with your insights into these CBDCs. Now, I understand there are at least two approaches central banks have been taking to develop them. There's a, a retail version, there's a wholesale version. What can you tell us about these? What are the differences? And are there more benefits or risks weighted towards one or the other? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good idea to start with this difference between retail and a wholesale CBDC, because I think it has a key implications. So retail CBDC is actually the type of currency you and me can use. So it's really, you know, it's targeted to you to, let's say, normal citizen. Wholesale CBDC are completely different. They are only for bank. And actually, the idea is very close to what the current situation here uh, exists. For example, if you own US dollar in your pocket with this kind of banknotes, this is, let's say, retail central bank digital currency because it belongs to the Fed. It belongs to the central banks, but you have it, you own it, so it's for you. But most of the um, central bank money is actually just on an account that big commercial banks have access to, and this is called wholesale CBDC. So really, retail CBDC is for you, you can use it to buy your, I don't know, your your uh, your coffee or whatsoever. And wholesale CBDC are more for the financial system per se. And there are indeed two ways of creating a CBDC. One would be retail, one would be a wholesale CBDC. I see. So my bank account then would not be with, say, Chase or Bank of America in the U.S. or Citigroup or any other retail type of commercial bank. It would be at the central bank. I would have my account there. Yeah, if if the CBDC is a retail CBDC, then in a way you will have a sort of wallet to own your CBDC, which would be equivalent. You know, instead of having one US dollar, you will have one, let's say, CBDC US dollar, which is completely equivalent. So one CBDC US dollar would be equivalent to one US dollar. And actually your wallet or your account will be at 
the central bank. So that should be the key difference. And this is only for retail. That's right. And obviously, the risk is what does it mean for, for commercial banks? It's a huge change, I would say. I mean, it's a, it's a massive transformation. It seems that there are a long list of changes, a, a huge list of changes and risks that seem to come from centralizing all bank accounts at the central bank. But we'll touch on that a bit later. I'm understanding that some reasons for countries to seek out launching these is out of fear that Bitcoin, Ether, or other decentralized cryptocurrencies, they may somehow undermine their existing forms of fiat money. But how do they do that? How would they undermine their existing forms of fiat currency? Yeah, I... I think there are two ways. The first thing, the let's say, you know, the technology, central banks need to go to, to the next level. And I think this is what uh, people people are attracted with cryptocurrencies because it's offered this kind of new service. 24 sevens working fine. There's no downtime. You make a payment, you receive the money, it's down in a, in a few seconds. Not that you have to wait for your banks to send, you know, the, the message that your money is transferred to um, to someone and then you receive. So it's so I think it, it it's something that is really uh, attractive for the financial system. I see. But then, in a way, for the central bank per se, and I mean more uh, linked to the idea of monetary policy, you know, the the money we use daily is the fiat currency of your own country, which is under the reach of your government and of the, your central banks. Then suddenly you have a new sort of money that just pop up from nowhere, literally, and uh, is accessible to everyone you have a lot of freedom and it has value because people accept it and it goes in direct competition to uh, central bank. It's about trust. And, um, you know, in a, in a way, central bank had the monopoly of trust because you had to accept uh, this central bank money. You had to accept, let's say, US dollar if you were in the United States um, and you have no other way to do it. And now it exists a new way, a new digital currency like Bitcoin can be Ethereum or any other one that works very well and everyone can accept and uh, you know it's uh, it's it enters directly into competition uh, versus uh, fiat currency and it's out the question about what the future of fiat currency issue by central banks I'm seeing that there's maybe a, a two-prong dynamic going on there's that trust factor and so there is that spotlight that's placed on the ability of the country to honor its debt obligations, the trustworthiness mm -hmm. of the government's fiscal uh, management, as well as central bank monetary policy. There's also utility. What can I do with my digital currency when I have it? I can only really transact maybe with a vendor that accepts them, but it would have to become more broadly or widely accepted. Yeah, but I mean... Yes, but imagine that the value of your own currency is just, uh, you know, kind of uh, disappearing or fading away slowly. And and actually, at some point in time, you won't be able to. I'm, I'm just thinking about uh, Argentina, for example, you know, in Argentina, you have your own currency, but everyone is holding a US dollar because it's, a, you know, it's a way to, to store to store value. And more and more people are accepting US dollar, even though it's not allowed, just because it's a good alternative. So you can create you can create a sort of an alternative payment system and prices will be more in US dollar than their own uh, currency. If you have broad adoption, you will be able to 
to use Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Polkadot, or Ethereum. I don't know what, but just alternative to that. Yeah. And especially alternative when you have a, a simple way to transfer money. Because what prevents you to pay your coffee with gold is that it's painful to have your, your kilo of gold just to... Uh, to take a piece of it just to, to pay your coffee. But with Bitcoin, you can you can do that. And, and I think, you know, if this negative spiral enter the mind of the citizens of a country that do not trust, because we are back to trust, the future value of something, so they will dump it and find something something else. And because everyone will do that, you will have adoptions let's say overnight, and then suddenly you have a new uh, financial system. And I think this is with a blockchain, which is a, a fabric of trust, where you have a settlement system, a messaging system, an accounting system, a way to record value transparently and so on, so really create trust. And this is really available here now, easy in yeah. a way. Yeah. And I think that's really something, It's I don't know if it's a threat, but it should be a sort of something that should create discipline to central banks. And I think what we, it's, I think it's, no one complained about the Fed to print money to save the financial system. That was a good idea. But you need to have discipline. You need to understand. And at some point, I mean, you're going to too much is too much. And I think people tend to say, yeah, no, it's too much. Apart from the cryptocurrencies posing a threat I've heard other rationales for CBDCs, and these seem to be centered on combating the potential for illicit activities. China, for example, they started a pilot program to introduce a digital yuan. They recently placed a blanket ban on all cryptocurrency transactions and mining. They view the technology in part as a vehicle for conducting criminal activity like money laundering. And even more recently, the U.S., I think in this executive order that President Biden had signed mm -hmm. in early March, I believe March 9th, they also cited the potential for illicit activities on decentralized exchanges, terrorist financing, for example, or skirting foreign financial sanctions regimes. Uh, these are reasons why the U.S., or at least in part, said they should examine how they can best produce a CBDC. But even with the possible advent of, say, a digital dollar, how could the U.S. work to prevent this type of activity, this illicit activity, from taking place on a decentralized exchange? Do they have any jurisdiction over the decentralized exchange, or, or how does that work? Yeah, actually, there are many points you are mentioning here. I would say that, um, you know, cash, if we go back to the cash we have in our pockets, there is no um, anti-money laundering check. You know, everyone can have the, the currency uh, in your pocket and, you know, the, the value is linked to the money. It doesn't, I, I don't care who gives me the US dollar. One US dollar is one US dollar. So in a way, there is no KYC, no New York Lines, no AML anti-money laundering check. Usually, central bank have delegated this task to the commercial banks because if you want to open an account and use electronic form of money, then you need to show your identity. You need to explain where your source of income is coming. So you need to check. And with retail uh, CBDC, then actually you will have an account directly at, uh, let's say, your uh, central banks. And then the question is, will central bank perform this kind of uh, of check? And to be honest, I'm, I'm very unsure about that. I think this is not what they want to do. I think that what will happen is maybe they will restrict 
the size of I don't know maybe a few thousand dollars you can own in CBDC in your in your wallet. So in a way, you know, if you use it for um, let's say some, you, you don't really need to. Uh, check carefully what you do because it's just a few thousand dollars. It doesn't, you know, you will not uh, make huge illicit activities with that. So I think this is probably a way, a kind of a cost-effective way for central banks to provide that. But I think one of the key reasons, and uh, because actually, yeah, you mentioned also this idea of uh, about the yuan, about you know, this People Bank of China is issuing this kind of CBDC, and obviously they own the information as well. Yes. Because if they provide it, because it's a central bank, so it's a central, it's not a decentralized type of um, of cryptocurrency, so there's kind of paradox as well. So the technology is the same, but if you have only uh, one computer checking everything, you know, they, this is centralized, and then you get all the information, and then you can create a social score on that. So actually, your freedom is at risk. So um, something which is key is also if you have retail CBDC, then you need to have a privacy layer on the top of that. And think about the cash. Cash, you have a privacy layer. If you pay with cash, you know, no one knows where this money comes from. So retail CBDC is fine, in my opinion, as long as you have a privacy layer on that. And maybe just uh, here as, as an expense, because SEBA participated with Banque de France to the um, to sort of a CBDC experiment, which has been done on Ethereum uh, network. And actually, we use Ethereum to set a transaction, but on the top of that, there was a privacy layer. So that's from the outside world, and even from the, let's say, from the inside, no one knows, uh, you know, who did what. So there was also some right. kind of privacy, and I think this is, um, and I think this is, uh, this is very important as well to have that. With all digital technologies, there is the ability, one way or the other, for somebody to game that technology, to hack into it. If all developed countries, central banks, uh, created digital currencies, wouldn't they all be very vulnerable to an attack? And then what happens to the entire global yes. financial system in that sense? I mean, that's a very scary prospect. Absolutely. I think that's a central point. Bitcoin has never been hacked. So the Bitcoin blockchain has never, ever been hacked. However, if you have your Bitcoin not, let's say, not on the blockchain, but let's say on a decentralized exchange, then the exchange can be hacked. So, I mean, okay. there's a difference between the security of the blockchain and, and let's say, well established blockchain, let's say Ethereum and uh, and Bitcoin have never been hacked. Okay, long time ago, Ethereum has been hacked. There was a there was a fork with Ethereum Classic, but that's kind of a, you know, that's I would say that's long time ago, and I think it, it won't happen again because it's too expensive to to hack it. It's almost impossible to 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 hack it. So I think if you use this well established, um, you know, high valuable cryptocurrency, then the risk is extremely limited. Obviously, you know, I should never say never, but I mean, it's extremely low. And this is not by chance that, for example, Banque de France choose Ethereum to make this transaction and not a smaller uh, crypto, uh, smaller blockchain. So, I mean, from that point of view, I think the risk is extremely limited. The problem would be more about the wallet because to own your cryptocurrency, because you cannot have it in your hands, so you need to have a sort of interface. Yeah. And um, certain types of interface 
uh, you know, or user expense, or if I, for example, if I want to pay you a coffee or, you know, something like that, I would have to transfer this money. And if I do it via sort of a, a different interface, then that could be the risk. So really, I think it's, it's very important to mention that big, well-established cryptocurrency and blockchain are not hacked. Obviously, there are always fine examples of small ones uh, that you can hack because the security is low. But most of the time, uh, hackers attacks exchanges because this is the weakest link in this environment because you bring your current, your crypto out of the blockchain, try to make something to exchange it and then put it back to the blockchain. And when it's out, it's like, you know, when it's, you know, most of the time you, a bank is not hacked. You get uh, your money stolen when you have your money outside the bank in your pocket and you are taking the, the you know, the, the metro in New York, for example. But this is not the fault of the bank. This is not the fault of blockchain. This is you having your money not in a safe environment. Yes. And I think that's, that's a key element. That's a key element. You know, you bring up digital wallet. So yeah, let's talk a bit about this digital wallet because another reason for the U.S. exploring a CBDC appears to be focused on financial inclusion. And this is interesting to me Indeed. because according to a, a fairly recent FDIC survey, around 5.5% of U.S. households, just north of 7 million people, were unbanked in 2019. And this means that no one in the household had a checking or savings account at a bank or credit union. But around the same time, the U.S. Census reported that 8% of U.S. households didn't own at least one type of computer. So no mm -hmm. desktop system, no laptop, no tablet, no smartphone, right? That's, so it's, it's a lot more people that, according to the census, didn't have means to any kind of computer. So I suppose the first question is, a household without a bank account may prefer not to have a bank account. So would they be forced into a, having this digital wallet? If a digital dollar was introduced, would they be forced to bank now? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an excellent question. I suppose there's a, a good correlation between the people who are unbanked and the people who don't have a, a computer at home. I, I don't know why people don't have a computer and I don't know why people don't have a, a bank account. Maybe they don't need it. But I think if you maybe you can solve this, both this issue, because I, I strongly believe that to have a, a decent financial infrastructure with financial services is a big plus, you know. Very often you need to have at least once in your life a credit to do many things, to build a house, to, to get education and so on. So uh, fi financial primitives are key. And for that, you need to find a way to enter into it. And the question is why people don't have it because they don't trust the bank or they don't have enough money to have a bank account. I think that CBDC could be a way to access DeFi, decentralized finance space. Yes. And decentralized finance, to be honest, does very much the same as what a bank is doing. Do credit, uh, so lending, borrowing, you can also, uh, you know, do also some kind of asset management, so managing your money. And um, you can do it directly 24-7 from your sofa. So you don't need, you know, to go to the next city. And maybe if you have that and you can get credits, then maybe it's also uh, encourage people to get uh, the, let's say, the the IT infrastructure needed to do that because it's really yeah. offer new services. Yeah. And I think this is what, um, you know, uh, 
digital money uh, should do is really to allow more people to have access to uh, simple financial services, which I believe are part of the modern society, and that we build our growth on these financial services. Yeah, you would hope that those without a bank account and without any kind of computer access, that the digital dollar doesn't get introduced before they have IT access. Otherwise, it would seem that they would have a challenge in buying that IT access. Sure, <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but I, I think I think again, you know, to to have a CBDC doesn't mean you won't have fiat anymore. For example, we have e-banking solution for a long time, and actually most of us. I mean, you know, I don't have any uh, real money in my pocket for ages. Yes. And uh, most of the time I use my, uh, you know, we have a different uh, solution in Switzerland than the U.S., but pay, which could just pay with your mobile phone and so on. I'm, 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 I'm pretty happy with that. But still, I think it's key to have, a, to have a fiat money. And I can well imagine that for a long time, you know, digital money didn't kill fiat money. I mean, the, the physical cash. And I think CBDC, for me, there is no reason for CBDC to kill uh, uh, fiat. I would need to have that. And I think my mom, for example, um, will certainly not have a CBDC wallet. And I think she will still be very happy to use banknotes. And I hope she will live long. So I hope that uh, we still have some cash in the next, let's say, uh, 25 years at least. So I, I think it's different. But, but we see anyway, kind of transition. We are getting more use. We are getting used to um, the facility, the yeah. simplicity of um, e money or digital cash and i think for most of our payment we are very happy with that but again yep. i think we need to have a privacy uh, we need to have a form of money that offer privacy so either that would be retail cbdc with a privacy layer or and i would say even better would be to have cash because cash is the only uh, coins that offers you full privacy and freedom as well. And it's not about doing, uh, you know, uh, illicit activities. You may have good reason to use virtual because th this is your choice. And this is our freedom. And digital fiat currencies, I'll call them, right? Digital currencies for sovereign nations, central bank digital currencies. These aren't without precedent. I mean, they are now in existence. They've been launched. They've been rolled out by mm -hmm. central banks, not in developed nations, I understand, but in countries like Nigeria, the Bahamas. Uh, mm -hmm. There's been adoption of a central bank digital currencies in countries in the Eastern Caribbean Currency Union. I suppose any adoption of a CBDC would rely on differences, right, across the geographies or regions. But would you say that there are any takeaways from the rollout of these central bank digital currencies in these countries for developed countries like central banks, like the Fed or the Bank mm -hmm. of England, uh, the ECB, Bank of Canada. So I haven't talked to them, so I don't know exactly <laughs> what they what they learned from this experience. But I, I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm when, when you mentioned that, I'm just thinking about uh, mobile telephone, for example, you know, in a developed country, we had this kind of a landline infrastructure, which is legacy. And very often you have a new emerging market that come with new solutions because they have no, you know, there was no way to contact anyone. So you come with the, with the newest technology. And the countries you mentioned, uh, you know, don't have a strong financial sector, a big legacy system, financial system. So they need to come with it. So, so they are very open to uh, to new solutions that are probably less expensive to, um, uh, to implement. And 
provide a lot of benefit to the users because you know if you have no phone and suddenly you have one you are happy and actually you don't yeah. have any you know we should stay with the with the old technology uh, i think for the developed world with a well established central banks and well developed financial system you need to update a big 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 system and you need to offer uh, you know, as a user of the financial system, I'm Swiss, so I have a bank account, obviously, so I'm a user of, this, of the Swiss financial system. You know, I will use it if and only if the user experience is as good as what I have. Because why should I use something which is uh, not good? And and, yeah. and I think that yeah. this is something that's that's need to be uh, that's need to be created. So I think that in my view, CBDC has to develop in two ways. First, they should uh, create a sort of user interface that allows you to do exactly what you have done so far, even cheaper or even better or even the seamless. So don't realize. And the second thing is, in my opinion, that central banks realize that. Uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency are there and it's not just a hype they will stay there's a lot of um, yeah. you know bitcoin as you mentioned you know uh, legend uh, hedge fund managers say i bought bitcoin everyone is kind of uh, talking about that you know it's really everywhere bitcoin in the mind of everyone and everyone wants to have it and now on the top of that should create DeFi, decentralized finance with new services offering to everyone even the unbanked yep. that's right but the, the the new financial sector which is developing on the blockchain is not better or not more stable than the old traditional system uh, we have. So there will be probably crisis at some point in time. Uh, there will be a sort of crypto layman moment as we had, um, you know, 15 years ago. And in that case, you need to have a central bank to provide liquidity to the financial system. And the main difference is that you can say that the traditional system is closed Saturday and Sunday, and we open again on, on Monday but not cryptocurrency, they work 24-7. So if you have a crisis happening on, on Sunday morning, and then you cannot say, no, you have to wait an additional 24 hours until the Fed opens the doors. Yeah. No, no, no. So, so I mean, you know, we need also to, to link these two systems. One, it's a real-time uh, instantaneous settlement system. And the other one, which is working on, a, let's say, with much more time to process the information with a clear time from eight to five. And, and I think we need also to make that. So I think CBDC is also here to link this new world and to create a world with some kind of a lender of last resort, with some kind of a, a financial stability at the end. I think it's also so it needs to you need to offer something which is good so people use it. But there was also a good reason for central bank to be interested in it, not because they really want to, but just because they rely that, you know, there is innovation and innovation will not wait for central banks. So central bank need to catch up yeah. to make our financial system as stable as possible. I think it goes both ways. What's at risk if we have, say, retail CBDCs? Let's say all of our customer accounts are with the Fed, uh, mm -hmm. which means that I'm not banking, and we touched upon this earlier with JP Morgan or Bank of America or Citigroup or otherwise, any other commercial bank in the U.S. And I'm, you know, can name them off and you know around the world mm -hmm. uh, if this happens. But okay, so in the U.S., my account is insured by the FDIC up to a certain right. amount. Right. Does that continue anymore? Would the central bank assume all the roles of commercial banking? You know, including lines of credit. 
would my checking account go away? And so again, all of these transactions that you and I would make through a central bank digital currency would be instantaneous, as we mm -hmm. talked about. So there would be no more delay in terms of right. waiting for checks to cash um, yes. or to go through or to clear, right? What happens to the bank's operations if they no longer have access to their customers' deposits? That's one big yeah. question. And the other is, what happens to bank stocks? Yeah, I'm, I mean, let's say in terms of deposits, and I think this is why retail CBDC will not be, let's say, the types of CBDC we will see. Because if this is the case, why would you hold your money at a commercial bank that's maybe, you know, bankrupt tomorrow, there may be a bank run, just choose directly for the best currency because the Fed will never be bankrupt. And no central bank can be bankrupt. They just need to print money if needed. So actually you should go there. And, and if this is the case, then obviously it's not good for commercial bank. This is why I believe that retail CBDC is not, let's say, the solution that CBD, the solution that central bank will show, they will go more for wholesale CBDC. That said, yep. there could be some kind of a small um, uh, amount you can use, like cash, which is literally, you know, when there is a bank run, the only thing you want, you want to have your money, you want to, to feel, to smell uh, your your US dollar banknotes because you know they have value. So you need to have a way to, to get access to it because in the fiat currency world, this CBDC or the banknotes are the best kind of quality you have. If you have money on your account, you know, if the bank is bankrupt, you don't have money at all. If yeah. you have a hundred hundred dollars in your pocket, you have it. Nothing can happen. Then the next question is about the purchasing power of it. And I, and I think that's, that's two different things. So this is why I think first, retail CBDC, in my opinion, will not be what would be proposed by main central bank, except yeah. maybe to have a few thousand dollars on your pocket, that's fine. Then the thing is about the competition and about the trust, and this is what you mentioned. And here, this is where I mentioned at the beginning, there is competition. Yes. Uh, it's like, you know, everything that we have in the financial sector is within the financial sector. It can be fixed income, it can be, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, equities and so on. It's linked to the value of the currency. And if you're afraid, of uh, let's say a collapse of the financial system, a huge devaluation of your own currency because quantitative easing you believe has been too, uh, you know, too large, or quantitative tightening which is coming you believe will let's say kill the economy, destabilize uh, uh, the U.S. financial system or whatsoever. I don't know whether you choose your scenario, but let's uh, let's say that you have a really bad scenario. In that case, you want to have something which is outside the financial system. So most of the time you say, I can buy real estate. So if I have fresh water and uh, some cows and uh, yeah. and a farm, you yeah. know, I will survive. It's outside everything. It has value per se. Most of people buy gold uh, as a financial asset, which is the liability of no one. And then you can also imagine cryptocurrencies to be the liability of no one because they exist by the simple fact that they exist and they have the value that the society give to it, but the, the value of Bitcoin is linked to the trust we have in this system yes. that create trust per se. And so we have also uh, an outside money. And I think this is where the competition is high uh, for central banks to, you know, I think competition, or let's say, 
you know, when you have an option, if you have no option, yes, you know, you, you, you cannot know whether it's good or bad because you have no option. You can know, you cannot compare. If you have an option in outside money, then people may move outside your own fiat currency towards something which you believe will survive longer. And if this is the case, uh, then in a way, you know, you're putting pressure on your own currency. And I think this is a sort of a new thing that exists before it was gold. No, we may have Bitcoin, we may have another one. And I think this is really putting a pressure on central banks to become more transparent, more rigorous. Uh, yeah, but the way they manage uh, their monetary policy. But obviously, there was the financial crisis, and this is where we are today. And uh, the question is, the question is still open about, um, you know, the future of dollar, future of, uh, of, uh, of fiat currencies. So this makes a lot of sense to me, the adoption of a central bank digital currency and placing a spotlight on the unregulated or decentralized nature of the cryptocurrencies, perhaps gives the central banks more of a perception of trust in that sense Yes. Uh, when comparing. I've got one last question because sure. this is always really exciting when an entire or when you have the prospect of an entire system or industry changing, like an industry changing, uh, if cash currency transforms mm -hmm. into all digital currency around the world, it always seems to affect or necessarily will affect those in the ecosystem of what's being changed. So those companies that are traditionally servicing cash or fiat currency mm -hmm. as we know it today, they may adopt, you know, change their business models of some kind, but an entire product goes away, right? I mean, if you talk yes. about companies like National Cash Register, NCR, they were founded, what, in Ohio in the late 19th century. Also, Sharp makes cash registers, so does Casio. Um, so what do you think is going to be the future of these kinds of companies in terms of their stocks or related exchange traded funds? I, I mean, I can go on with other kinds of institutions mm -hmm. that would change, like the U.S. Mint, I suppose, uh, changes mm -hmm. its operations completely. And then we have an obvious fallout effect in terms of employment and a shift in the landscape. I agree. I think we have a, an innovation which is coming that will change the society. And, um, you know, we have been innovation in the past as well. And, you know, there are some jobs that existed before that do not exist anymore. And I think that will be that will be the case. I mean, for everything which is linked to the notion of money, of transferring money, you just don't need them anymore. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be uh, to go to the, to, um, you know, to the current situation about SWIFT, for example, this uh, uh, world, uh, you know, messaging system to transfer money. The question is also, do we need it? Yes. And the question is probably not. I mean, uh, from a technology point of view, no, you, you don't need it anymore because you can live without. You know, for example, any blockchain is, is, is allow you to own, transfer and to record transactions. So it's a settlement system at the same time messaging system. So it's a sort of a swift enhanced or plus plus. You don't need it. Yes. But to come back to your question, yes, I think that it will have a deep impact on all the financial services. I think that many financial services will be 
offered directly via applications. Like when you have on your smartphone, you have a few applications. On your blockchain, you will have a few dApps, decentralized applications. One of them will be financial, uh, let's say decentralized financial application. You will be able to to uh, to exchange money without talking to your bank, but doing via a smart contract. You will be able to do lending, borrowing. So some people will will lose their job. And also in the banking system, you have a lot of people which are just controlling if you know what you've done is correct checking so auditing validating elements and if uh, a blockchain is and this is actually what it is a messaging system and a settlement system at the at the same time there is no reconciliation needed you know the transaction is the settlement it's not that you transact yeah. and then oh you have to check and, yeah. and actually there will be in my view also if blockchain let's say become mainstream and is used as an operating system for the financial industry, I think that there will be a huge impacts on jobs for all, let's say, back of its job linked to uh, reconciliation. I think it has huge, huge impact indeed. Eve, this has been a, a really great discussion. Thank you again so much for taking the time and coming back and, and joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And for our listeners out there, you can learn more about cryptocurrencies and Seba Bank's webinar presentation, Digital Assets, What You Should Know for Your Portfolio Diversification at ibkrwebinars.com. You can also keep abreast of their market commentary at IBKR Traders Insight at tradersinsight.news. We can also catch our previous podcast, Crypto Coin Talk making heads and tails of digital assets if you haven't already. Until next time, I'm Stephen Levine for Interactive Brokers. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about Interactive Brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Trading in digital assets, including cryptocurrencies, is especially risky and is only for individuals with a high risk tolerance and the financial ability to sustain losses. Eligibility to trade in digital asset products may vary based on jurisdiction. There's a substantial risk of loss in foreign exchange trading. The settlement date of foreign exchange trade can vary due to time zone differences and bank holidays. The interest rate on borrowed funds must be considered when computing the cost of trades across multiple markets. Interactive Brokers is not affiliated with and does not endorse or recommend any third-party investment information, advice, services, or products discussed in this episode. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry, or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary. Seek professional advice.